All right. I'm just going to read the Bible verse, and then Paul's going to come and speak. So in from 2 Corinthians, I mean Chronicles, sorry, 2 Chronicles 29, 1 to 11. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became the king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. In the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He summoned the priests and Levites to meet him at the courtyard east of the temple. He said to them, listen to me, you Levites, purify yourselves and purify the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary. Our ancestors were unfaithful and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned the Lord and his dwelling place. They turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors to the temple's entry room and they snuffed out the lamps. They stopped burning incense and presenting burnt offerings at the sanctuary of the God of Israel. That is why the Lord's anger has fallen upon Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread, horror and ridicule, as you can see with your own eyes. Because of this, our fathers have been killed in battle and our sons and daughters and wives have been captured. But now I will make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and to lead the people in worship and present offerings to him. Thanks, Ellie. Good morning. G'day. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Where is everyone? We're here. That's the most important, isn't it? I remember a lady, I walked into her workplace and uh, on the Monday morning, on, on the Sunday night, we'd had this incredible night, a Sunday night service, where God's Spirit just kind of met us. And as I walked into the workplace, I, I said to her, oh, we had this awesome service on Sunday night. She said, why didn't you tell me? I would have been there. <laughs> Hello. Um, if you're not there, you miss out. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Hey, it's great to have the youth working with us this morning. And uh, we miss you in here as we normally go out to uh, Next Gen Church. But it's good to have you with us uh, this morning, those who are with us anyway. I guess the others have slept in, have they? They've all slept in and the parents have decided to sleep with them. That's all right. That's okay. Today I, wanna, I just want to open up the subject of worship. Worship is a huge, huge subject. And I understand that. But I'm, I'm just going to try and open it up this morning over the next uh, week or so. And talk also about the battles that... that that happen as a result of when we worship God. I don't know whether you've experienced before, but when there's a move of God in your life, the, the enemy's right at you. He really wants to pull you down. He wants to stop you and all those type of things. So next week we'll have a little bit more about that. And I think it's quite uh, interesting that next week is Anzac Day. And uh, Anzac Day is all about the battles that went on in the, in the, the World Wars, one and two and still going on Vietnam and others, and still going on in Iraq, and all those types of things. Well, there's a spiritual battle as well. It's not only physical, 
But there's a spiritual battle as well, and we're going to talk about a little bit about that next Sunday. Remember, next Sunday we're meeting at 11 a.m., not 10.30, so if you're here early, that's fine. Uh, we'll find a place for you and uh, make sure it's all good. But for those who are going to the march and the little ceremony that they have at the end, hopefully you'll still have enough time to come back and enjoy the service here as well. As Ellie read in the, the story of Hezekiah, I challenged her to tell you to look up Hezekiah 29, um, but she was too scared to do it. And uh, then she was going to blame me, so I thought, don't worry about it. But uh, I've tried that before when people used to bring their Bibles to, to, to church. you remember those days? Do you remember those days when people used to bring their Bibles to church? There's one up the back, over there, one over there. Oh, that's good. But I know they're on your phones, but I never know whether you're on Facebook or whether you're texting, or, uh, or you're actually reading the, the scripture. Is that right? Is that what you're doing? Let me have a look. Oh, that's right. <laughs> but I remember saying to a, a church one day, look, let's look up Hezekiah. Hezekiah, I'd say 29. And you can see people flipping through their Bibles. And, uh, but anyway, I won't do that to you today. I've already done it. But Hezekiah was a 25-year-old kid. 25-year-old kid who became king. Can you imagine that at the age of 25? I guess it's a little bit like Australia at the moment, what we're going through with the monarchy uh, over in England, that if the queen stops, whether she dies or whether she abdicates, is that the right word? Um, Who's going to be king? Now, I know who should be, but what if Harry became king? Can you imagine that? My goodness. But there's a possibility that William might become king, and he's a very young king. Or The queen was only, I think, 23 when she became uh, queen of England. So it's a little bit like that in, in this day with, uh, with, with Hezekiah. And the king was over millions and millions and millions of people at just this ripe young age of 25. 25, amazing. Now, his father claimed, or his fame to claim in Judah, was that he boarded up all the temple, boarded up all the windows, boarded up the door of the, of the temple so that nobody could, uh, could come in. And he placed guards around the temple so that no one could even attempt to try and get in. That would be like me coming in as, your, as a new pastor, or even as the interim, as I am, and boarding up all the windows around here, on the outside or the inside, putting up boards over the doors and saying, do not enter. It'd be the same type of thing. I wonder how you would feel. Maybe for young ones, they go, oh, that's good. I'll go home to bed. Uh, but the older ones are saying, hey, 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 you can't do that. How dare you do that? This is my church. This is what Judah went through when the king, Ahaz, boarded up the place. But he not only did that, he then uh, directed his soldiers to go down to all the intersections of, uh, of Jerusalem and uh, Build, uh, make sure the altars that were built up to a false god. That's what he was doing. I guess that's like me saying to the elders, uh, I want you to stand around the church and don't let anybody in. And, and of course, the deacons, they're the practical people, uh, will put you on the street corners and you can fight and make sure that nobody you know, 
does what we're supposed to be doing. You're not allowed to worship anymore, not like we do. That would be like what it is. So this 20-year-old king, Hezekiah, takes over. Now let me read verse 2 and 3 again. And Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened up the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. That's the first thing that he did when he became king. Often when, when a new leader comes into a church, his first initial thought is, what do I need? Well, I hope this is his first initial thought is, what can I do to honour the past? What can I do to honour the past? What do I need to do to honour the past people, like the pastors that have gone on before, before us? What do I need to do to bring continuity to the past? But at the same time, send a message that it's a new day and we're on a new direction. That's the big question. Let me say that this, that I really honour what Pastor Bob has done in the church here over the last, I think, eight years. Would that be right? Eight years? Incredible job what he's done. And previous pastors before that, I don't know all of them. I know Pastor Danny and a couple of others, but that's about all. But they've done an amazing job. But this 25-year-old King Hezekiah thinks to himself, what is it that I need to do to show them that this is a new day? This is a new day and that I'm going in a different direction to that which my father took. Now, you've got to understand this. His father turned away from God. See, we've got to understand that. That's why he was bringing in a new direction. So Hezekiah makes this very bold move within the first 30 days of being king. He's not only going to open up the temple gates and the doors, but he's going to make repairs to it as well. He was making a statement that I, that, that I am not only parting ways from the direction of that my father was, who was ungodly, but I'm going in a new direction, a new direction, which is always a difficult thing for any church to understand that so often we need to go in a new direction, not the old direction, a new direction. And that he was saying that we are returning to and we're going to also to worship, worship the true God of Israel, Yahweh, whom they knew at that day. Hezekiah then instructs his volunteers to go into all the public ways, sending a message to, to this day that Hezekiah was making a statement. They're bringing down the old altars, the false altars to their false God, and there's a new statement that's coming out. That's one of the reasons that I loved walking around the streets here with those ones carrying the cross on Easter Friday. It was a statement that we were making, an absolute statement, a huge statement that we believe in Jesus, that we believe in unity. Whether I believe what this church does or not is not the issue, is that we can have, an ish, we can have a unity in Jesus in Jesus Christ, and that's the most important thing. We were making a statement. He then introduces the Passover, which is communion, what we would understand today, and we're having communion at the end of our service today for this very reason. We want to celebrate in this way. And his father abolished all that. He got rid of it. 
You know something? There are some churches who are abolishing it now. We don't need it anymore. It takes up too much time in our service. So let's get you know, just move it aside. We don't need it anymore. He then asked the people to bring their full tithes and offerings into the church. Now, I'm not going to go down this path today, but I think it's important that we do one day because so many people today find it hard to give. You ever notice that? I think the older ones know what it is to tithe. And, you, and I've come across this so often when people go, I don't believe in a tithe, it's Old Testament stuff. Well, actually it's not. It does not only Old Testament stuff. Tithe is mentioned in the New Testament, but it goes a step further. It goes to they gave everything. And I've said this to people who have challenged me, well, you know, the New Testament, if you want to be in the New Testament, they gave everything. Oh, it's okay, I'll give a tithe then. <laughs> you see, you can't just have something for say, oh, that suits me. Because tithing is a kingdom principle. It's not just an Old Testament or a New Testament principle. It's a kingdom principle. And so Hezekiah reinstated that back into their worship. Again, tithing is a part of worship. We don't just give money. Oh, well, we'd better give some money today. What have I got left in my pocket? We give because that's what God has given unto us. And we then in return give back to him. And God will bless you. He said, I shouldn't be going down this path because it's not in my notes, but, <laughs> but I'm going anyway, aren't I? But in the, in, the, in the Old Testament says that if I give a tenth, God will look after the nine-tenths of it. It's interesting because if I don't give my tenth, the devil has then got authority and power to come in and, and wipe out the rest. It's, it's an interesting concept and people go, oh, I don't know if I can do that because I've got all these bills. I can only go from experience, from Annie and myself, is that we have believed in tithing all of our married life. And I can say, and there has been times when we have struggled big time to pay bills. But it's even to just recently, just recently we got a, I got an email this week from Flight Centre saying that your, um, your refund is available. And I went, we don't, we don't need a refund. We haven't got a refund. We'd booked a, an overseas trip before COVID came in and we thought we got all our money back. And uh, so I rang Flight Centre and I said, I don't think you owe us anything. She said, yes, we do. There's X amount of dollars waiting for you. And it was quite a large amount that they kept as a booking fee. And so we just said, praise God. You know, he looks after you in every situation. We need it at this point of time. It was great. So tithing is really, really important. And I won't go down that path. <laughs> but then he introduces this massive worship time. This massive worship gathering, a time that lasted only 24 hours. Can you imagine? How would your voice go, Alicia, for 24 hours leading worship? I think under the anointing of God it would. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, we complain because we go 10 minutes over. Come on. They went for 24 hours, possibly longer, 
And we complain because we're standing for too long. And I understand that. Please don't take me wrong on that because sometimes we've got to sit down because we get tired on our legs because we're getting younger every day. But get this, when the burnt offering was complete, the king then knelt down and worshipped God. He knelt down and worshipped God in front of everyone, not just in his private closet, not just in the, in the area of maybe the temple, but he worshipped God in front of everybody, the king. We don't see that today, do we, very much? But he did. 25 years of age, in his royal robes, face down before God in humility. I love that, in humility. They hadn't seen that in years. And, you know, neither has our nation, have they? Our nation haven't seen that. A leader kneeling before God in openness to everybody? We need to see it, but we haven't seen it. Let me give you a little bit of a side note for those who are in some type of leadership. And I'm not just talking about eldership or deacons, but I'm talking about whatever leadership that you may have in your role. But I want to say this, people are watching us. People are watching us as leaders. They watch every move that we make, every move. They will draw conclusions about our leadership. They'll draw conclusions about our life, about our integrity. That's a big one, that one, our integrity. About our values, about our attitudes in life and our attitudes to one another. And when they see you do something that honours God, it registers in their life. It registers for them. Parents, every time your kids see you opening your Bible, every time they see you praying, it registers in their little minds. Believe you me, it does. Those who work in the community, whatever it may be, every decision that you make, registers in those minds around you. And when we move with integrity, even against the tide of of someone who is suggesting otherwise, they go, wow, that woman, that man must believe what they believe. You see, every time it has an impact upon people when you're in some type of leadership. Church, let me say this to you this morning, if we want you to, if we want us to see a move of the Holy Spirit within our church and in our township, worship and prayer is the key. Worship and prayer is the key. Maybe it can go either way. You can have prayer and worship or worship and prayer. But if they work together, the Spirit of God will start to move. That's why I'm so encouraged by those who come on a, on a Sunday night. It's only once a month. It should be every Sunday, but it's once a month. And I encourage you younger ones, prayer's not just for the oldies. Prayer's for all of us. 
And we need to be seen to be praying. And that's when the Spirit of God will come. Luke 4, 8 says, Worship the Lord your God and only the Lord your God. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. Love it. That's a challenge. And when the Holy Spirit came into your life, when you were born again, God's Spirit enabled your spirit to touch the very Father heart of God by entering into the throne room. That's what we're allowed to do now, to enter into the throne room because Jesus made it possible when he died on the cross. Not only when he died on the cross, but when he rose again on the third day. Hallelujah. Church, God always has a pattern and a purpose, always. And in this case, it is as we enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise, which we've done this morning. That's what singing songs and hymns are all about, singing praises unto God, thanksgiving unto God. And then we enter into his throne room, which is where there's worship, and that's where we listen to what God has to say. God wants to meet us, absolutely wants to meet with us, and gain for us to gain revelation of his nature, his character, and his person. But let me say this very clearly today. This relationship that we can have with a, with a very holy God is a lifestyle relationship. It's a lifestyle relationship. And it requires more than just an hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning to come together. It's a lifestyle. It's every day. It's 24-7. Absolutely. When Moses dared to speak to God, he said, show me your glory. Let your presence pass by me. Isn't that what we need? Isn't that what we should be desiring for God's presence just to come? And pass through and even stop and linger with us. Wow. What would it mean for you today to experience that very presence of the Spirit of God? What it would mean for us as a church for him to pass through in an incredible way. In Moses' case, he needed to go into the Holy of Holies, or in this case, go up into the mountain to meet with God. We don't have to do that. We have total access into his presence 24-7, not just on a Sunday morning. I know the church that we were brought up in, it was the divine hour was 11. If you came early, he wasn't there. If you were late, sorry, you missed it. I remember quoting A.W. Tozer, if you burn down the church building and drive away all the people, you have not disturbed Christian worship at all. Keep a Christian from entering the church and sanctuary and you have not in the least bit hindered his worship. We carry our sanctuary with us. We never leave it. This is the temple that the Spirit of God dwells within. Church, always remember, we are the temple. 
Always remember that. Jesus, by his spirit, dwells within us. We use a building for the sake of coming together collectively. That's all it's used for, coming together collectively. It's not a holy cow, as some would like to believe. We look after it, definitely. But it's only a place where we can come together to do what we're doing this morning. Worship, praise, and listen to what God has to say to us collectively. Now, this morning, I just want to finish with what I understand through both the Old Testament and the New Testament to be expressions of worship. Now, I know some of you might go, oh, hang on, what's he into? I want to say I'm taking it biblically, okay? It's coming biblically. Both Anne and I, when we visited the Holy Land back in 2010, I think it was, and going to see the Western Wall, it was known as the Wailing Wall in, in the day when we were there, or was just changing then. Many ways the Jews expressed their worship in public. It was wonderful. And we need to understand, church, we need to understand God is not Australian. Is that right? Not Australian. He's not English. He's not even Indonesian. And he's not American. Sorry, sorry, Kirsty. But he's not. He's not. Maybe Donald Trump thinks he is, but he's not. Okay? Cut that out, all right? <laughs> but I also want to tell you something. God is not Baptist. Amen. And he's not Lutheran. He's not. And he's not Catholic. And I want to tell you something, he's not Pentecostal. In the sense of denominational. He's Pentecostal in the, in the terms of what Acts talks about. What we need to do is to worship in the form that he desires, what Jesus desires, and, and that is in freedom in a biblical way. Let me tell you a secret. Satan hates it when the people of God worship Jesus. He hates it big time. You see, we have all taken some expressions of worship. We've picked them here and picked them there. And we've fitted them neatly into our culture or our particular denomination. So in other words, if I go to America, I'll pick on them today, uh, they will worship in a, in a particular form. Go to the denomination, they'll do that. Do what Annie and myself were for 12 months over in Bali ministering and they worship in another way because of that's their culture, the way in which they, they worship. And they then put it into a particular denomination like the the, the one that w the church that we're in was very much expressive. I could go to another church in the same synod and they worship differently because it's a different style. So what we've done is we've drawn all these areas and we've put them together and we've said, this is how we do it. But it's not necessarily the way God wants it or that Jesus desires. So I, I want to try and draw some things very quickly because worship is relational, as I said. Worship is relational. So firstly, let me just say this. Worship is also thanksgiving. 
Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter in his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. This is the pattern. I try to encourage worship leaders to understand God has a pattern. You can't just come into a, into a, a service and start with worship. That's not how the pattern works. Biblically, the pattern is that you come with thanksgiving, with praise, then into worship. So we need to look at that. So that's what the pattern is. Secondly, praise. And there are seven words. And I said to Dick the other night, where is Dick? He's around here somewhere. There he is down there. I keep, he keeps moving on me, <laughs> which is hallelujah. <laughs> he, that's right. He hasn't paid for the chair he's in. He's got to keep moving. I said to Dick the other night that, that I, I was going to use some, some words and I said, I hope they're right. Just give me the nod if, you, if I'm right, all right? I'm, I'm sure this is right because it comes, comes biblically. But the first, the first word of, of praise is Barak, B-A-R-A-K. It's up on the screen, so I don't need to spell it. Which means to kneel, to bless, to salute, a sign of respect, in other words. It speaks of reverence and quietness before God, but expecting a response from God. We Baptists don't do a lot of kneeling, do we? Is it because our knees are gone or what is it? I'm not sure. Yours are gone. Yeah, okay. That's, that's fair. Well, after all, you are 55, so... Um... But maybe, maybe we need to do Barak. Maybe there is time to kneel in our praise time. Maybe there is time to, to bless him, to, to honour him. But also I think one of the things that I, I see very much in the charismatic church, and I, I'm part of that, I understand that, is that we don't do a lot of quietness. It's like the aerobic church. And we need, to, we need to practice silence because out of silence often comes the voice of God. And sometimes we're too busy jumping around and squealing or yelling or screaming or doing whatever, and I'm talking about life, I'm not just talking about in church, that we fail to hear the quiet voice of Jesus. So that's, that's Barak, which, is, which is, a, is, a, is a word for praise. Secondly, Yadah which means a thankful and verbal expression of praise. It comes from the root word to throw out, to throw out the hands or to lift up the hands like that. That's what I saw in, in Israel. Church, people don't just raise their hands because they're charismatic or Pentecostal. Come on. Let's move over that barrier. They do it because it's a way of expressing praise and worship to God. Plus, it's biblical. There is a chorus that we used to sing many years ago, with my hands lifted up and my mouth filled with praise, I will bless you, O Lord. I remember in churches that didn't lift their hands up, if we sang that song, they would lift their hands. And I go, Why? See, I am convinced that God has given to songwriters songs for us to sing because we're too afraid to pray them. Or to express them. So we do it through a song because it's easier in a song. 
Thirdly, Tuah. This is for what God is going to do. It's a faith praise in action. I'm actively involved. And I think sometimes what we, we, we sense in church is that I'm not actively involved. I'm just here. My body's here, but my mind's over there. My mind's on what lunch is, is, is cooking or what I've got to do tomorrow and the work that I've got to prepare before I get there. Hmm. Fourthly, Zama, which is instrumental, a song of praise. Sometimes, I believe as a congregation, we need to allow our singers and our musicians to minister unto God as well. Sometimes we as a congregation need to just stand there or sit there or kneel there and let them do something. Let them minister unto the Lord and unto us. Sometimes we get too much involved and we've got to step back and say, guys, you lead us. Just lead us in a praise, in a worship, in whatever song, or even just the instruments playing. There's something beautiful about that. Some of the worship team know that when I finish on a given Sunday, particularly said it to Alicia, I'd like you to come up and play just some music. Why do I do that so that we can con people into some emotional thing? No. Because she's ministering to the congregation in, in, in praise and worship through an instrument. And I like to join that and bring it together. That's why I do that. It's interesting, but in the Old Testament, <laughs> and also at times in the New Testament, only at times, it was the musos and the singers that went out before the soldiers. You've got the tough stuff. And it's tough on a Sunday morning too, isn't it, sometimes? It's tough because you feel like you're in a battle and you're trying to get the soldiers to join with you and come with you. And that's what they did in the Old Testament. So the army, the enemy were over there. The musos and the singers were here and the soldiers, God bless them, were behind. So they got hit first. So that's what they do. And it's always the musos that get hit first. Ah, you're playing too loud. Oh, you're not fast enough. Oh, you're too slow. Oh, oh, we don't know that song. All those types of things go on. Let's get over that barrier. and Let's, let's allow God to do something in that. Fifthly, Shabak, which means a triumph, glory, a shout. I was going to shout, but I won't. Or an address in a loud tone. Sometimes we, we, we do, and I'm picking on them a bit this morning, the Pentecostals. For shouting, thinking that God must be deaf. No, you've been in meetings like that. I've been in meetings like that. And I'm going, oh, heck, you know. And I'm just as bad sometimes, by the way. Okay, I understand that. But in this case, it's biblical to bring a shout unto the Lord. I've been in, I've been in services like that where it's just been of God where this kind of shout unto the Lord, and you go, wow, it brings the hairs up on the back of your neck. It's quite remarkable. Sixthly, halal, which comes from hallelujah, obviously. Or to shine, to boast, to celebrate, to commend, to sing, to rave, to be glamorously foolish. Oh, you guys did that well this morning. Did it well, I, I, but I loved it. I mean that in sincerity. I, I love it when young people express themselves there's something good about it it kind of throws me back to my youth days of when I was 
famously, glamorously foolish, and all those type of things. But I, I guess as evangelicals, we, we battle with shouting and with loudness. We do. Because we say it's not dignified. The problem with that is it's biblical. So there must be dignity in there. Especially, you know, when you think of being foolish un- for God, unto God. Remember King David? When he came back with the, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, took off his clothes. His wife, she was oh, appalled that he took off his clothes and danced down, down the streets. As they said, naked, I think he might have had his underwear on or the undergarment or whatever it might have had. But that was still an undignified thing for a king to do that. But he was so excited about God. He was so excited that the presence of God was back in the house again. That's what we need to get excited about. Getting the presence of God in a, in a formidable way, in an open expressional way that he's in the house. In other words, we need to get lost in him. That's what David did. He got lost in God. Nothing else around us matters. It's just Jesus and you, enabled by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. There is reality where we build a throne for God and he comes to sit upon it. That's why I love to sing praises unto him. I I just want God to come down in his manifest presence and sit on the throne that we're building for him through praise, which brings us into worship. And I'm only just going to mention these words today because we'll pick them up later. But worship is adoration, exaltation, lifting him up in other words, celebration, evangelism. I'll talk about that later. Warfare, which we will be on next week. The more we worship, the more the enemy comes in. Personal edification as we lift him up. Healing, repentance, and seeking God. You see, worship is, is not only an, a door opener that lets you get to God. It's also, worship is also an open door that allows God to get to you. And it's up to me, it's up to you whether I prepare to open the door and let him in that way. And so often, that's where the problem is, letting God get to me. Because we get our denomination in the road. We get our culture in the road of letting him do something that there's some desire in our hearts that we really want to do. Because that may call for a change. A change in my life, in my lifestyle, a change in the church. Remember what I said a few weeks ago? Change doesn't become change until you change. It's interesting that we have heard the phrase, it's time to come out of the closet. You've heard that phrase, haven't you, many, many times over the years? And we know what that means. But I believe that it's time for us as Christians to bring our faith and our worship and our expressions of worship out of the closet and not be ashamed and not to be embarrassed 
of those around us. For years I was like that. I would stand. and Sometimes I'd have my hands in my pockets and I knew that God was encouraging me and I'd, I'd struggle. I really wanted... And then I'd got my hands to there. Now I have no problems in expressing my worship to God because for me... My expression of worship like that is, Lord, I'm just freshly surrendering to you again. I'm just surrendering. Sometimes I might just put my hand up because, Lord, I just want to say I love you. I love you. Can I do it with my hands in my pocket? Of course I can. But there's something refreshing and something freeing about being able to. And it's not just raising of hands. Please, Please hear me when I say that. There are so many expressions that we can have. But I've mentioned some of those today. Church, I believe it's time for some of us here, even this morning, to be set free, to openly express our love for Jesus through expression. If that's you this morning, then when you come forward, or there's communion up at the back as well, when you come forward for communion, Alicia's going to lead that in a moment, why don't you just freshly say to the Lord, Lord, I want to be released too. I want to know that release in my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for a man like Hezekiah who openly pulled down the false gods that were around him. And Lord, we have so many around us. And Lord, he openly swung open the doors and said, God, we want your presence again. And Lord, then he humbly knelt before you in an open act of worship because he loves you. And Lord, maybe that's what we need to do this morning. We need to have that open act, expression of worship. Lord, if somebody needs to be freed this morning, oh Lord, give them the courage to step out and say, that's what I want. I want to be free. I want to be free to worship you, Lord, openly, not just at home, but anywhere that I am, that I can give praise and thanks and worship to you and express that in the way that you desire. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.